Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright Mark Antony Rossi. In this, our second year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host, uh, Mark Anthony Rossi. We're here with another interview segment, an interview literally during all this corona stuff. So you imagine how hard it was before trying to get some interviewing going on with people's schedules and everything else. Now it's like, wait a moment, I got to dodge a, a global virus and then we can interview. I mean, that's really how it's getting these days. I got literally people telling me, I don't know, until my district comes down, I'm, I'm afraid to leave the house. I'm like, well, the interview is going to be in your house, but still... You got folks that are like that. We're going to work with everyone we can because it's important to work with people. That's how we get these interviews. We have uh, Tammy Smith, a, a really wonderful uh, gal from New Jersey. Always great to have some New Jersey folks on the show. Don't really get too many opportunities that way, so I feel blessed. Uh, she's a, a clinical a social worker, uh, does uh, therapy uh, through the telemedicine method, which is an incredibly uh, new thing that's becoming, I think, more heightened because of, of, of covid and she's even wrote an article that I was able to nominate for the best on the net about telemedicine. So I'm excited to have her on board. It's something new for us to hear, somebody new for us to hear, and as well as something new that people can write about or maybe even explore. Uh, Tammy, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. It's really, really a pleasure to be here speaking to you today. Yeah, it's just great because we just don't get too much of this, and I really think that as we want to broaden the show out, it can't just be about, you know, plays or poems or fiction or novels. No one says that we can't talk about nonfiction things that have real relevance into our life. So what's not any more relevant than somebody over there trying to help the the, the public, you know, in, in, in a national crisis and then writing about it. So I don't know if we can get any more relevant than that. Well, writing and therapy are really really linked together in so many ways we don't even think about it but it really goes back to greek mythology where apollo the greek god was the god of poetry and medicine so the ancient wisdom knew that somehow poetry and medicine were linked and therapy is a healing art and it's no surprise that a lot of therapists incorporate writing into their practices a lot of people find a lot of benefit from journaling, from getting their thoughts on paper. So it's a, it, to me, it's like a marriage made in heaven. I love to write. I love to help people. And what better way than to incorporate writing with healing? Uh, I'm telling you, Tammy, I, I couldn't hear any better words because not only is it my belief system, what you're talking about, but I've seen it work in practice. I, I've done it myself. I work with veterans in, in, in writing therapy. So it, it really does work, you know, to a certain extent. You, obviously, you have to judge each, each individual differently, but it, it definitely has a, a healing property to it, and it really expands uh, some of the, uh, I, I believe, the depth of art. It's not just about, you know, nudes on a canvas or, 
or, or someone screaming about something uh, political. It, it can also be something that could be uh, very personal and even sometimes very therapeutic. Absolutely. We always tell people that our experiencing some kind of challenges and right now with COVID who the heck out there isn't experiencing a challenge that if you don't have ready access to a therapist you always have a piece of paper a journal somewhere to write down your thoughts and that can be a starting point to dealing with some of the stressors we're all dealing with and in the act of writing some things may become clear to someone and that can be the tipping point that shows them, you know what, maybe I need a little bit more than just this notepad or this computer screen. Maybe I would benefit from talking to a mental health professional. And at that point, you know, especially now more than ever, there's so much access to mental health services. And I would encourage anyone who's struggling that would find it beneficial to please reach out and get some help because we're all going through a lot of unprecedented kind of stress people especially who have had traumatic histories they may need an extra support an extra outlet so although we always encourage people that writing can be a very cheap therapist it's not a replacement for professional help yes and i and i agree with that and i i, I certainly want to give that that impression but what i, I what i do know for certain is is that at least in in a, in a self-therapy kind of way you know, it could be a real starting point on, on people beginning the conversation that they sometimes need to have with themselves before they have it with someone else. Oh, absolutely. You know, people have been keeping diaries since the beginning of time, and there's a lot of actual research that shows just how beneficial and important just getting your thoughts out. And Kathleen Adams is in charge of Journal Institute, and she actually has a lot of literature out there about proper journal techniques that I've been finding really helpful in my own work with journaling and also in helping others have some more structure. Because when we're looking at a blank piece of paper and we want to get our thoughts down, some people may have absolutely no problem starting wherever their thoughts are, like kind of a free associate. You come with whatever comes to your mind, you put down on paper. But if you're in the middle of a crisis or something is happening where that thought of all that blank space or that computer screen may be too intimidating, may be too overwhelming, and someone else may benefit from okay, I'm going to give you some guidelines. Uh, you're struggling with a relationship. How about writing a letter to the person that you're angry with, disappointed in, or have some feelings about? So giving somebody that opening, like you're going to write a letter, or we call it in the morning having like a five-minute sprint. A lot of people, when they first wake up in the morning, they have a morning meditation practice or just some quiet time. You just setting a timer for five minutes in the morning and writing whatever comes out, not worrying about editing, not worrying about spelling, but having that timer set. So at the end of five minutes, whatever you have there, you can process and then go about your day. So these are all different techniques, a lot of stuff out there for people to figure out what works, works best for them. And, you know, on one Monday when it's raining out, 
you didn't get a good night's sleep. Maybe you need something structured. Maybe another day when you wake up and you had a good night's sleep, everything's okay. You may feel more comfortable with just being able to free write. So there's so much out there and a lot of good stuff. And I think COVID-19 also has opened up more conversation about the healing effects of the arts with writing and artwork and art, art therapy and music therapy and poetry journal therapy is making, I think, a huge comeback in this time. And we're really seeing the benefits. I've seen articles in the New York Times about the benefits of of writing and poetry and art. And a lot of artists have been using the time where they were quarantined to produce some of their greatest works and some things that they've been, you know, keeping, waiting for that rainy day. You know, a lot of artists and writers, musicians say, oh, I have this project I wanna do, but there's never enough time. And the when COVID happened, it was an opportunity for many many artists to be able to tap into those projects that had been waiting for them and unleash them and get ready to share them with the world. Well, I'm not only excited to hear about that, you know, uh, there's times I I pray that more of that would happen because one of the things you discover, especially when you do a show like mine, is that, you know, I want to explore all the different facets of writing. I just don't want to stick in one little area because I don't like that. I I like being able to change up and, and, and look at new things. But one of the things that you had to look at, which I, I never really expected to encounter as much, but I do now, and, I, and I'm used to it, and I accept it, is that there is a, a high propensity of, of mental health issues in the artistic community. And because of that, I, I found that I was responsible to try to bring some of that out more onto the show. So it's another excellent reason to have you on board. It's also another excellent reason just to have a conversation about that, because I'm still convinced that as much as we've gotten this message out, people are still stigmatized by it. In many ways, it's still a place where you could discriminate against people on. Oh, absolutely. There can't be enough education about the importance of being, as you're using a love it, stigma-free. I'm a huge, staunch mental health advocate, and uh, my message is to people is we're all struggling with something. And yes, there's a continuum, and some people have significantly more mental health challenges than others, but there's no one alive walking around that isn't struggling with something or doesn't have somebody in their family, whether it's depression, anxiety, or substance use, eating disorders, gambling, sex addiction, it goes on and on. And we all have our vices, we all have ways that we cope, and sometimes we use more maladaptive coping skills like I had a bad day so I'm gonna have that pint of ice cream or I'm gonna go shop on Amazon even though my bank account is telling me maybe that's not in my best interest so there certainly I don't think is anyone that can't advocate for all of us strengthening our ability to use better coping skills and pick a better way to cope with a bad day and writing I always go to because it's worked for me I am one that definitely practices what I preach with my own challenges both before I came to the field of social work and now especially during writing is my own go-to when I'm having a difficult time something happened at work something happened at home I 
take out my journal. I like to journal, like in the old-fashioned journal. They've got fancy ones that have leather bindings and fancy sayings on them. And then I also use my computer. And then I also use my notes section, you know, on my on my smartphone. So different ways that I journal and write. It's really kind of interesting now that we're talking about it is there are certain times where the comfort of using a pen and notebook feels different and gives me a different a different response than typing. And then sometimes I find it useful to use my phone. And I'm actually be on my phone writing because I, I have a Scrivener app even downloaded on my phone. And somebody will say, what are you doing on your phone? And I'd be like, I'm writing. They're like, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I am really. And they're like, no. And I'll like, show them, I'll pull up the, the file. And they're like, oh my gosh, like you're really writing on your phone. And yeah. that's the great thing about technology is, is that we have so many different avenues and so many different ways to express ourselves. And there's places now in, in, in these softwares where you can you can download audio and you can add your research notes. I mean, you can get as, as tech savvy as you want and then also bring it down to the bare bones, back to basics where you're just with the pen and paper. And it's really, really, really nice to, to notice the difference. Like I even have a difference in my body. I notice how I feel when I'm writing with a pen and paper and if I'm typing on the keyboard. It's a different uh, kind of thing going on in my brain that I've only recently started to take notice of, if whether it's a mood or a time of day where I find I gravitate toward typing on the keyboard or choose to go back to pen and paper. Yeah, it, it's part of what we call in, in, in the writing field the, the rituals, and, and, and people they need to find various rituals they have because it helps them put them in the proper environment or even the proper mood. And I think especially when people are dealing with depression or struggling with mental health issues, that oftentimes whatever rituals they might help themselves with, that can actually do something as well. And I've heard from many people that tell me this. I had this guy the other day. He's telling me about, you know, um, I don't like this whole mental health idea, Mark. It just, it just sounds like something bad from the Hollywood and everything like that. And then he's telling me uh, that he keeps a journal, that he's, he deals with a diary, uh, that he has all kinds of different writing techniques, and then he talks to other people about stuff. And I'm like, listen, I know you don't like this whole mental health idea because for some reason you got some strange stigma on it, but some of the very things you're doing in life is what we would advocate as part of helping with mental health issues. So... You might actually be helping yourself, not even realizing that you may be calling it something different. Wow! I wish he would know that there's there's a lot of therapists out there, creative art therapists that use writing as part of their practice. He'd probably be surprised to learn that there's a a whole field called biblio poetry therapy, where mental health clinicians are trained to take literature and to use writing either with groups or on an individual basis to help people struggle with, with some of the issues they're facing. And um, I'm actually in the process of studying poetry therapy. I'm working with, with a woman who's amazing that is teaching me. It, it's, all, it's actually a whole 
endeavor. It's a whole field onto itself. And I've only recently started to become acquainted with bibliotherapy, poetry therapy. And um, if you want to hear a little bit about it, I'd love to share it because I don't know that too many people are aware of it. I myself only just recently stumbled upon it. So I'm excited and I think it's, I think it's good stuff to, to put out there. No, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly uh, fine on hearing about it. I think that people on the show definitely should hear more about this. They've heard about me talking about uh, writing as a therapy in general you know, I wrote a few papers on it for the for the journal of poetry therapy in, in the 90s when I started getting more involved in it, uh, you know, after I uh, was finished up with my Air Force uh, career. So I, I found it necessary and, and actually vital in my own personal practice as an artist, but also, you know, dealing with issues of, of post-stress. I, I found it important to be able to use. And so I started writing more about it and talking to more people about it. And it's only now, years later, that I was able to do the show. I'm like, you know, this is probably something I need to talk about again because I've been privately dealing with it and, and, and working with it for probably three decades now. Wow. Oh, amazing work that you've done, by the way, with 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 the veterans and with writing, you know, and it's again, just a perfect example of how therapeutic and how important and life-saving writing can be. And a lot of, a lot of folks, when we talk about writing, they kind of, if it's not something that a person enjoys doing, they'll kind of like, Oh, you want me to write? Like really? And after some initial resistance, a lot of folks I've worked with have been really, really surprised about how good they feel afterwards. But, you know, always with something new, if it's something you're not into, there could be that initial resistance. But like anything else, it's an invitation to look at things in a different way. And similarly with art therapy, a lot of people will say if you offer them, you know, a piece of paper and magic markers or cray paws and tell them, you know, maybe drawing something will help you feel better, they'll go like, oh my gosh, I can't draw like my stick figures look like a, like a five-year-old made them. <laughs> but art therapy, just like poetry therapy, the emphasis is not on the skill. It's not on how polished the finished product is or even the product as under as you're doing it it's the healing benefits of it and part of part of healing for all of us is finding space to become our more ourselves and to take the pressure off this is not a time when we're dealing with with healing medicine to become perfectionistic in nature or think I've got to write the best-selling novel or I've got to write the, the article that's going to be nominated for the push card or the best of the net. That's, that's all fine and great and I certainly am not here to, <laughs> to tell anyone not to strive to create great art. I'm sure there's a lot of writers right now listening to this. This is not a, not an ex a, a reason to stop striving for, for great art. But when it comes to poetry therapy, art therapy, ways that we can be kind and good to ourselves. It's more about what it's doing for us in the moment, not about creating something that's brilliant that we want to share with the world. So I think that's an important distinction when we're talking about the difference between therapeutic writing and writing for publication or 
writing for scholarly pursuits or for recognition. And and, and I and I totally uh, I totally agree. Um, remember, folks, uh, the the show and uh, this interview show, as much as it's about writing, it's also about some of the benefits we can get from writing. And in this particular case, that uh, there's some real therapeutic benefits from it. And and sometimes they can be self-involved. And other times they could be in, in, in a more uh, clinical setting like she's talking about. Or, you know, we now have this telemedicine thing, which in many ways is sort of like the, the best of both worlds. You can be comfortable enough in your own environment, but still, you know, get in contact with somebody and, and maybe get the help that you need that you might not be able to, to get because possibly you don't even live in that community. Maybe it's too far away. I mean, you could do it across the continent if you had to. So there's no good reason anymore for folks not to try to get the help that they might need. And we just have to remember, though, that even as artists and as writers, uh, there's, a, there's a real good segment of, of many of us that, that deal with this issue on, 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 a, on, a, real, on a real basis. And I, I'm not somebody to be against uh, the pharmaceutical industry. I, I don't like these sort of agendas that people have on these kind of shows. But I, what I would say is that, you know, every time you could find something that can help you that doesn't involve time to take any kind of a drug, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. And why cannot this type of therapy be one of those paths that, you know, not everybody needs a, a, a pill to, you know, to get through the day. Sometimes they might just need, you know, a, a friend. Absolutely. And James Pennybaker was, uh, is a, a sociologist, researcher, I believe, and he did a lot of research on the therapeutic benefits of writing, especially when people have experienced some kind of traumatic event. So I think all of us now in COVID, this counts as we're all being traumatized at the moment. And like I said er earlier, some to more lesser degrees than another person. But there, he originally did some research studies that asked people who had experienced some kind of traumatic event to take 15 minutes a day for like just like three or four days and just write without thinking about it. Like I explained earlier, this free associate write. Um, for those who don't know, free association is, is uh, psychoanalytic in nature from Freud when he first came up with the talking cure and people were in psychoanalysis doing free association. It means just saying whatever comes to your mind without filtering it, without thinking about how it's going to sound. Everything, you know, like the diarrhea of the mouth where everything just comes out. <laughs> and free writing is basically the same thing, except instead of it coming out of your mouth, it's coming out bleeding onto the paper. Like, from your wounds, so to speak. And he, Penny Baker, when he did this research, showed that individuals who spent this time writing, afterwards, they had better health outcomes. So if someone had higher blood pressure, it even showed that writing just for those 15 minutes could bring people's blood pressure down, people were having type 2 diabetes, all these kinds of health care, their symptoms generally improved. Now, this is not to say that writing cures diabetes or writing cures high blood pressure, because clearly these are medical conditions. But it just, the research was showing that the benefits of writing, along with following treatment recommendations for what the cardiologist recommends or what other healthcare providers recommend, writing as an adjunct was 
proving to be beneficial. And you can't ignore that. That's just not stuff that he made up. This is research that he followed individuals, followed their health care. So all of us, especially now with COVID, if I'm not saying we all should do this, but I certainly wouldn't be against it if every single person now listening to this to this uh, podcast now spent the next three or four days taking 15 minutes just to write and then letting us know after three or four days if they notice any difference, we'd probably be surprised to see that people would feel better. Maybe if you've been struggling with your sleep, writing out before it's bedtime, what's going on in your mind, what's, what's keeping you up? People who have bad dreams have found that sometimes keeping a, a dream journal. I, for one, keep a notebook by my bed, and I do record my dreams. If I wake up in the morning, I do record them, and I, I go over them with my own therapist. As a mental health professional, I am absolutely believe it's essential for me to have my own therapy, which I find extraordinarily helpful, and I could not imagine being in this field and working with individuals who are struggling if I myself didn't have a place to bring my own issues to. And I have found that keeping a dream journal is really not only illuminating and it brings things to light that I may have been struggling with, it's also a great use for my own writing. I've taken actually some of the thoughts I've written down in the morning from my dreams and used them in my own poetry and in my own short stories. Because uh, when I'm not working, or I'm not researching and I'm not studying, I also do still manage to find time to do my own creative writing, which is how, uh, how I happen to come here today by writing for Aerial Charts. Yes. So. And, and, and thank you very much. You, you brought across a, a couple of really good points that we don't hear very much. Uh, I have another uh, mailbag episode that's coming out in a couple of weeks, uh, number five. And so... I'll just give a little early release of one of the questions that, that was answered, and I'll still answer it on that show as well. But one of the things that someone asked was, and, and I don't think they really was asking as much as they were just making a statement, and it was kind of a rough statement, but I, I get those now and then. That's just part of the show sometimes. you got to live with that. But they pretty much said, well, Mark, why are you bringing all this stuff into writing? And they were mentioning about depression and, and science, like somehow I'm, I'm you know, bringing it in here because it's you know so much fun to do something – something different and it, like it doesn't belong and you know i pretty much uh, text them back and and mention to them and you mentioned this on the show very clearly that we have to also remember that sometimes art is not brought into a science and sometimes in a sense it's copying or even learning something from it that's where free association came from and and i think for so many decades now we, we seem to think like some artistic person made this up and, and we're using it no, this, this came from somebody in the more of the scientific therapeutic uh, world, and then we took from that. So oftentimes these things that we do in art, even religious, I mean, you think about the monks and, you know, and the monasteries and all the writing they were doing and all the copying they were doing and everything and how they became a, rigid, a religious ritual for them. Many times art has uh, many different plays in, 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 in people's lives and in other fields, and sometimes we're borrowing from that as much as we think that we're you know, um, just by themselves, we're, we're free from politics and religion. And, and some of the dreams that sometimes uh, people, uh, they'll, they'll email me about. And that's really what that is. That's a dream because there's no way to free 
any kind of art from any kind of experience that we have in life. It's supposed to be blended in there. That's the whole point of it is because it's sometimes coming back in a way that might educate us or maybe even speak to our own selves that we didn't realize. Absolutely. You know, they say there's nothing new under the sun, that we're really just reinventing things that have already been there. We're just putting new spins on it. And, of course, the newest science and the research just makes those original thoughts that, that much more exciting when we have the science to back it up, which they didn't have back in the day. You know, you, you bring up an excellent point about, about psychology and writing and the arts. You know, Freud wrote a whole research paper that, I mean, his own research, I shouldn't call it a research paper. <laughs> Freud wrote his own writing about the relation on poet to daydreaming. And he believed that poetry, like psychoanalysis, shared the unconscious material of dreams and fantasies. So very much like I was just stating a little while ago, this idea of free associating, when we write down words, it, it has a lot of of the similar agents to the, the talking cure, which is what Freud was the inventor of therapy. So anyone today, and Freud gets a bad rap, he really does, and he doesn't deserve it only because he came up with the stuff. And I think sometimes we forget that. We wouldn't have any of this telehealth, this telemedicine, any of this without the benefit of Freud's wisdom and having the couch there in his office and the therapy that he did. And yes, granted, a lot of Freud's thoughts, a lot of a lot of people that came after him had some different ideas and some criticisms, which is of course what happens with anything. Freud came up with an idea, and then it it takes it into a different schools of thought after that, and divergent theories and whatnot. But we owe him the talking cure, and. Therapy today can look very different than psychoanalysis. And yes, there's still psychoanalysis out there today that are do, that believe in pre-association, that believe in that, and we have a million and three other different therapies. There's a, a therapy for every modality out there. There's If you're struggling with this, there's a treatment for it. And on one hand, that's great that there's so much out there. And on the other hand, it can get confusing. So someone that is looking to get started in therapy may not know where to turn or where to start because they don't know if they need cognitive behavioral therapy. They don't know if they need psychoanalysis. They don't know if they need gestalt. There's so many different names out there that it can do a disservice and turn people away. So the great thing to remember is just the fact that you want to talk to someone and you want to work on your issues is huge and is wonderful. And statistically, the relationship that somebody has with their therapist is way more important than any of the training the therapist has or what they want to call themselves. It's that relationship, the trust that you build with someone else. And if you trust the person, then maybe you'll be able to bring your writing into therapy. And then that, I think, is really beautiful. And that's something that I've been able to do with my own therapist and something I've been able to do with the people I work with. There's no greater honor to a therapist than when the person they're working with brings them something they wrote. Like I work with someone who says, is it okay if I read to you what I wrote? 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're actually asking me if it's okay. It's like, it's a privilege. It's an honor to share that space with someone. And I welcome that. And to have someone be able to trust you to share what they've written on paper, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to first write down what's really on your mind. I mean, how many people can say that as adults now in the world that they feel safe and comfortable putting their own thoughts on paper and then to take it that one step further and bring it to someone else to sh become vulnerable and become open. It's such a gift. And I can't say enough how powerful and how healing that can be. And when I've read my own writing, say to my therapist, and I'm waiting and he takes it in and then he comments not on the style because that's, he's not an English teacher and he's not my editor. So he's not there to say whether he likes that adjective or get rid of that, that, that uh, semicolon doesn't belong there. But to bring it back and reflect on, wow, you really felt something. I was really moved when you talked about what happened with your mother or what happened with your son. To see those shifts in emotion, in movement. And if we write and we journal or we keep, keep a written records of all that's going on, we can really track growth. Kind of like when you're dieting and you you are writing down what you eat and then you see the movement on the scale. You know, people will say, well, I can't lose weight. And somebody will say, well, write down everything you eat for the next three days. And then, then you go and you see, well, look, I didn't realize that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon I had that extra chocolate chip cookie. Maybe that's why the scale didn't move in the direction I wanted. Just as similarly with with our writing, if we're tracking our thoughts, what's going on during the day, you know, maybe four days from now when we have that beer at night or that wine or we have the extra fight with our spouse that we didn't want to have and we look back over to what we've written the last few days, it's like, oh, that makes sense. I, I was really struggling with something. And it's not that the writing is going to prevent that. I mean, it could. That's absolutely the goal is that if we're writing, we can prevent a lot of things. But the truth of the matter is, is life happens and we're all human and we can't always prevent the argument from happening or having the extra cookie or the extra beer. But being able to write about it, maybe afterwards we have some reflection. And even if we can't necessarily stop the behavior, we can at least have room for compassion for ourselves and understand, okay, this is why it happened. And rather than beat myself up about it, because I don't know anyone that's ever kicked a bad habit by beating themselves up, maybe there's just some space to for be more forgiving to ourselves and consequently we become more forgiving to others. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes the way I talk to myself, it's not always kind. and even though I'm a mental health professional and I have training, I can just as easily get into the habit of being hard on myself, being down on myself. I, should have, I shouldn't have said this. I could have eaten better. I know all this stuff. Why am I doing it? And especially those times when I take the time to journal or write and then I'm able to share it, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better.
and there's no greater gift. There really isn't, and and I, I share uh, some of the things you had to say, especially about uh, being hard on myself. I mean, I, that's pretty much how I am, mainly because uh, I work a great deal, and I still have a, a young family as a, as an older guy, and and I'm still in the in the arts, and I and I do all of that full time and 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 at full speed, and and sometimes uh, you know at the end of the day, um, I can be physically exhausted and still feel like you know I didn't get all the things I wanted to get done, or I didn't say all the things I. I wanted to say before my children go to bed or even sometimes before my wife goes to bed because oftentimes I'm up late just getting other things done and still not feeling that uh, that's really enough. So I've, I've learned over the last few years especially, you know, how to um, create a better pace for myself and, and also to maybe uh, adjust uh, certain expectations. I'm not getting any younger. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm still in good physical shape and I'm happy about that. I mean, unlike people my age... You know, I don't have heart or, or diabetes problems. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't drink very often, and I don't have any of these crazy vices. I mean, I'm just I can't afford those. I have a I have a family that that depends on me. You know, but at the same point, um, I think it's uh, really necessary for us to to look at uh, writing in, in in the arts in, in a way on where we might be able to tame some some measure of happiness because you could always have struggle. And then hope that the writing is going to help you uh, through that struggle. And then sometimes all it does is add more struggle. So sometimes and how we go about it or even how we view it, we need to adjust it. Even if it means a, you know, a bite-sized morsel versus an entree or, or if it means a baby step versus a, you know, a stride or something. Because sometimes that's the best way to go without things is in a, in a more patient fashion. I, I know you had mentioned something that, that kind of sparked my my own notion of, People going into um, into these therapy sessions where they've uh, built a, a certain trust and bond, and I know a number of people have done that. But then, uh, when they tell me about that experience, and and they also tell me the greater context of it, sometimes, you know, they wind up having a closer bond with that therapist than even they have a loved one, or in some cases, they're more candid with that stranger, so to speak, uh, than than anyone else. And I really think that oftentimes some of the depression and the stresses that are out there and, and that seem to be more now than they even were when I was growing up has to do with the fact that, you know, we're, we're living in unusual times where we have this enormous amount of uh, technology for us to communicate to anybody on any part of the globe. We can communicate, but we don't seem to have that sense of candor anymore. So it's almost like we have the power for communications and we don't have any power to be honest about anything anymore and I, I think that's a a sad note for our society that I'm not sure um, that all of this uh, all of this writing and all this therapy can, can, can truly address on the, on the bigger level I wish I had a, a more of an answer for that I know on that on that, that personal level it can but I would just wish we could figure out a way how to go forward beyond that oh my gosh I'm so glad you said that because it's so true I mean think about the last time somebody really listened to you Right? Like, we're all so busy, and it's almost, even even during COVID, people are still, like, busy all the time. They're just busy in a different kind of way with different kind of things, but there's still, like, this pressure to achieve and and to be busy. And micro, ta like, uh, multitasking, that's since I was looking for the word. Multitasking is something that we applaud rather than being something to 
maybe be a little afraid of sometimes. I mean, when is the last time somebody looked at you while you spoke? So many times that we're on our phones, even people having conversations in the same room, they're looking at their phones, they're looking at something else. They're not even giving eye contact to the person that they're in communication with. And so I think one of the startling revelations that psychotherapy can bring is that here you have somebody paying attention, hopefully, to your every word for 45, 50 minutes at a time. Like, when else in modern America or in the world does that happen anymore? I mean, granted, it's, it's a professional relationship, and yes, you're paying for that service, but still, the person is hopefully, like I said, if it's a good therapeutic relationship and the therapist has good training, hopefully they're attuned to you. They know who you are. They're watching your facial expressions. And yes, even on telehealth, this is still going on because you'd be amazed at the nuances of, of, of what the platform of doing therapy virtually has. That's a whole other conversation we can have. But even on the computer screen or on a, on a smartphone, you can see when someone's eyes close, when they sigh, all of the body language, everything comes out. And you have a mental health professional that's paying attention to you for longer during at one time maybe than people have all week long. And I think that's one of the reasons why people will say my relationship with my therapist maybe feels more intimate than it does with, with my sexual partner or with my kids. Because even those intimate relationships, would your wife be able to give you if you're, if you're the husband, the same amount of unconditional positive regard hanging on literally your every word for 45 to 50 minutes straight. And like, it rarely happens, even even in good marriages, even in great relationships. So, you know, what, what you were saying about how therapy can be like the most intimate relationship, it is perhaps because we've lost some of that ability to communicate freely and to be intimate in society. You know, we, we uh, talk all the time about technology and it has its advantages. And clearly through COVID, Technology has been a godsend for most of us. And I think maybe COVID has helped technology get a little bit of a boost in it, within this, this discussion because prior to COVID, there was a heck of a lot about how bad technology is and it's killing, uh, it's killing socialization and it's killing people's ability to communicate. And then COVID comes and now we're all Zooming and meetings and getting in contact with with people and we're like, thank God for technology, thank God for technology. So there's been a real love-hate and I think with COVID forcing so many of us to connect through, through technology that it's gotten the boost. But we still have to be careful going forward. There's good and bad and hopefully the, the good outweighs the bad, but to be, to be aware of you know, the relationship we have with technology. And with telehealth especially, you know, for those of you who, who don't really quite understand that, it's uh, a therapist meeting with their patient or with their client 
you know, over over the computer or through FaceTime or over the phone because uh, it's not safe with social distancing all the time to see a therapist in the office. They might not even be available so in your community either, you know? A therapist initially had some... In the community, yes, especially rural communities, especially. You know, I take for granted that sometimes I, I live in the suburban area outside New York City so that we have, like, a gazillion mental health professionals within a five-mile radius, but especially in rural communities where there's less access to, to mental health care. Um, but even prior to this, there was resistance on the part of, of, of therapists to engage telehealth. They weren't, they weren't convinced, to be honest with you. They weren't convinced. They're like, it's not the same. It's not the same as being in, in the room with someone. You can't pick up on, as I was saying about the, the blinking of an eye or that. They're like, if, if they're not there in the room, I'm going to miss things. It's not going to be the same. And I myself had resistance at first, too. So I, I'm perfectly guilty of saying, like, oh, my gosh, I, I don't know about this, this telehealth stuff. I don't know. You know, uh, maybe if we close our eyes, this coronavirus will go away and we don't have to pretend that this is happening. <laughs> but like everybody else, I was forced both as the therapist and as the patient, because like I said, I have my own therapist and I also see people for therapy. I had to confront my own resistance both as the patient and as the therapist. And I have to honestly say I've been pleasantly surprised about how beneficial it is. Now, I'm not going to lie and say it's absolutely amazingly wonderful all around because it, it's not, and there are some things that I wish that it would be that, that it's not. So it's not perfect for me. Please don't get me wrong. But I've been pleasantly, pleasantly surprised about how well it's worked. And there are so many advantages, okay? Like, I can roll out of bed in the morning and put on my clothes and go open my computer and I'm in. I don't have to get in a car or worry about if some people that don't have a car or don't have a ride, they don't have to worry about transportation, calling, a, calling Uber, begging a friend to take them. We don't have to worry about parking. We don't have to worry about all of that. And let me tell you, like some mornings, especially like last Last week when it was raining, that horrible storms we had here, that my session would have been canceled both as a therapist and as a patient when the, you know, the hurricane came through. But as long as we had Internet access, which luckily both I, myself, and my therapist that they had Internet access, we were still able to have our session. And for those who didn't have internet access, I was able to do a phone call because, like I said, I see I see individuals. Well, a couple of the people on my caseload that lost power, they didn't have access to the computer. I was able to pick up the phone, and we were able, you know, to do a session over the phone just to check in because, yeah, as you can imagine, with COVID and now they have no power and they've lost the food in their refrigerator. Oh, a lot of People I see are struggling with financial issues. So, like, the last thing you need when you're already stressed out and things aren't going that well for you is to now lose a couple of hundred dollars of groceries because, of course, the hurricane comes right after you fill your fridge. And Been there. it could be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So having the access to... 
the phone to talk to people right in the middle of a hard time. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be an entire session. I've done a lot of check-ins with people like in between just to say like, are you okay? Can we make it through till we can schedule the next appointment? And just even having that brief check-in not only strengthens the therapeutic relationship, but gives people the hope that, you know what, my therapist is there for me. She cares. She wants to make sure I'm safe, make sure I'm okay. And, you know, whatever next week brings, we'll pick up where we left off. But all of this wasn't available with just traditional in, in-person visits. So I think the telehealth has absolutely highlighted the importance of convenience and having somebody there and I can't tell you how many folks struggle with transportation like not everybody has a car not everybody has somebody willing to drive them places and not everyone wants to spend money on uber and why take a bus ride for 45 minutes and transfer two buses to have to see someone for help if you can do it right from the comfort of your home yeah, it completely so, makes sense to me, uh, no, no doubt about it. And I, I really appreciate you, not only your description of all of this, but you, you, your bravery. A lot, of, a lot of therapists won't even mention or, or, or have that old-fashioned feeling that uh, they, they shouldn't disclose that they might actually see one themselves. And In fact, I, I spoke to somebody not even a year ago that literally made the statement of, I, I don't want to see somebody if they're seeing somebody. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, really? They're practicing what they preach. How does that not make any sense? Would you want to see that person versus somebody that don't even want to tell you what they're doing? I mean, it makes no sense to me. It, it's important to do so. I mean, how could it not be? I, I, if I was doing your job, how could it not be a bit, you know, stressful at times? I'm listening to everybody else's problems and trying to help them, and then of course realize that sometimes uh, you, you might not be handling your own at times, and, and you want to be able to do that because you need to be there for your family as well. So it only makes sense to me. Practice what you preach, and I, I, I think that really makes you stellar. Oh, well, thank you, because absolutely being in my own therapy has been one of the most important parts of my development as, as a therapist. Because like you're saying, I listen to people all day about their most intimate struggles and some of their trauma, and it's a lot to take in. And I have my own issues. Like, who doesn't? I'm a person in the world struggling on my, on, on my own levels with day-to-day life and, and my, own, my own experience of trauma and my own ambivalence about where, what I want to do and where I want to be. And if I don't have a safe place to take those struggles with, then I may not be able to may not be able to separate what my issues are from the person I'm working with. And those boundaries are so important because if you're looking for a therapist and you want to be able to share your deepest thoughts, you don't want the person on the other end to be so caught up in their own stuff that they start to confuse, you know, your issues for theirs and vice versa. Like, you have to be able to separate. And like I was saying about having that space for 45 or 50 minutes to listen to another person that intently, if you're stressed out about what's going on in your own life, there is no way you can be present on that level for that long for someone else. 
because a therapist needs to be attuned to the person they're working with for that length of time. And it's, it's, it can be tiring, especially if, if the person you're talking with is going through their, their own tortured states. And you, myself and all other therapists, we need to be able to take that in and be able to, as we're listening, be able to think about how we can help them. Is this the time I should stay silent? Is this the time I should offer uh, a clinical intervention? All of that is going on in, in, in our minds as we're listening to, to the people talk to us. So if I'm at that time worried about, you know, whether or not schools are going to open next month and if the power outage is knocked out all my food, if all of that's going on in the back of my mind, I can't be there for that person. So I'm able to table everything going on for myself and know that I have my own therapist I can bring that to. And then speaking of which, there's also clinical supervision. I think the best therapists are the ones that also have supervision. And a supervision is another therapist that we talk about our cases with. So it's not just that I have a therapist for my own struggles, but another therapist that I talk about the cases of the people that come to me. And generally the people we're working with know ahead of time that we have supervision. We tell them like, this is another professional. I don't necessarily use your name because we don't have to use people's names and identifying characteristics we could just say you know there's a woman that I'm working with who you know she has two jobs she's going through a divorce like general things that still protect someone's anonymity but we'll discuss like you know I don't really know what I should do with her maybe I'm being too hard maybe I'm being too soft like give me give me some some input of, of, of what, what I can do. And I think that makes the therapy better and it makes us open to additional ways of looking at things. And, you know, I'm particularly blessed because I have so many wonderful professionals in my life that are, that are guiding me and, and leading me and, you know, um, I'm into what I had mentioned earlier with the poetry therapy, and I work with a wonderful community of bibliopoetry therapists on how to incorporate writing into therapy. You know, I'm involved in, in psychoanalysis, so I have analysts with years and years of, of experience that are, are able to guide me, and it's just a beautiful way of being in the world, and I'm so blessed you know, to be a therapist, so blessed to be in therapy, and so blessed to be a writer and have this unique opportunity to, like I said earlier, marry my love of writing with my love of therapy and helping people. And I'm so excited to, to kind of show the world, like, there's so much out there that we can learn from and so much, so many gifts we have that we can share with others and to tap into our, our own potentials. And, you know, COVID has been a really, really dark and devastating time for this country and for this world. But at the same token, there have been moments of great growth. Our ability to connect with technology, our ability to build resiliency, our ability to come together as people has also been one of the rewards. So I have to say that the silver lining of all of this has been my own growth 
I have now had opportunities to Zoom all over the world, and I have taken advantage of trainings, of seminars. You know, I used to have to worry about if I want to go learn something, I'm going to have to go to the city. I'm going to there – were, there were great trainings I saw that were in Chicago or out there in California. I'm here in New Jersey. Like, I can't get on a plane to go to one of these trainings. Now all of these educational – everything is on zoom you just i mean some yes you have to pay a fee but you just basically you're you're there and you're in i am every day these days zooming with people all over the country i've met amazing people in colorado wyoming utah like all over the place and i never would have had that opportunity by just having to go to a, a traditional professional conference so I think that's been like the best part. If I could say if there's been a good part of this pandemic, it's the ability to have virtual learning at my fingertips and anything that I've wanted to explore, I've had the opportunity to. And like, you know, they say there, there's not enough hours in the day and you can never read all the books you want. Now I feel like there's never enough conferences on Zoom I can go to. <laughs> how, how strange how that all works. Um, before we close the show, I, I um, for years, I even wrote a couple books on it. I've always been skeptical to technology to a certain extent, mainly because uh, I've never been happy with some of the uh, some of the forms of dehumanization that can come out of it. And, and of course, it's not just the technology itself, because obviously how we use things are important. You know, you could use a knife to cut a cucumber or you could, you know, cut somebody's throat with it. So it really depends on how you're using it. And I got that. But. I noticed the same thing you've noticed, and, and I sort of like ha had a funny remark to myself that, God, I mean, I, I, I've been talking about 10 years about some of the dangers of technology, and now I'm wondering if the technology is going to maybe save humanity to a certain extent. <laughs> it's, a, it's an irony I wasn't expecting, and it's certainly not something I would want to say so openly, but I, I've, I've noticed that on, on many levels uh, with, um, with Zoom and the Internet and even uh, – uh, the, uh, the the virtual learning they called it with the school kids and everything and, and that's becoming more of a, a reality now so um, I had to uh, learn to embrace things that I really wasn't so excited about even a year ago and uh, it, it's definitely a change but it, in the same point you know I, I am seeing some of the silver lining and I am seeing some of the positive things of it I am hoping that and maybe in some small way it's going to help Im improve ourselves and maybe even how you know we uh we treat each other and 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 how we communicate with each other because you know in the backdrop of all of this stuff is you know a nation still in turmoil for lots of lots of cultural reasons that are going to take a whole lot longer than a year to, to settle or, or maybe to even uh, solve but i'm hoping that maybe that's going to help that as well too maybe if we're um we're less depressed and we're less angry and, and maybe if we're a little bit more willing to take a chance maybe we'll take a chance on each other for a change and that that'd be a great thing out of all of this you know absolutely there there's a lot of risk but within that risk comes growth you know and, and Brene Brown always talks about the importance of vulnerability and becoming open to being vulnerable is a really really amazing place to be it takes so much courage to be able to face oneself and to be able to face the world 
And in those moments of demonstrating that level of courage, that's where some of the biggest shifts we see in that transformational change that, you know, in broad sweeping terms that we're all kind of striving for. You know, when they say transformational change, it really begins with that courage and that vulnerability. And there's a resistance to that. The resistance to change, I, I really do believe, can be linked to, to, the, to the fear of being vulnerable and the fear to making mistakes. And, you know, shame is, is tied up in that with admitting what we don't know. And who wants to admit that they don't know something? And maybe that's part of the resistance that a lot of mental health professionals had to the, to the virtual therapy and to a lot of this stuff is we had to become open to being vulnerable ourselves. And we don't really know what this is going to look like. We don't know what the world is, is going to be a day from now, a week from now. None of us really know what next year is going to bring and our willingness to confront that and to be open to it and talk about it, that's where the biggest opportunities, you know, for growth come from. And the strength and resiliency follows pretty much in suit with that, at least in my experience. All right. Tammy, thank you so much for being on here. That's a Tammy Smith thank over here. Uh, she She's a, a licensed uh, clinical social worker. She's a writer. But I, I tell you something more important than any of those titles is, is someone who actually cares. And I think more than not, as we look into the future, we need to cling or, or try to find those people that, that do care because the titles are not going to be enough in, in this world to describe who we are or maybe who to define who we are. Maybe how we're going to define ourselves is if we could say something nice to our neighbor or if we could reach out to somebody, even with social distancing, I mean, just in that metaphorical way, which is part of what telemedicine is. It's a way to reach out to somebody without having to physically touch them and still do something positive in their lives. And maybe uh, what she's doing and, and what we're writing about and what we're talking about, and even even the show to a certain extent, can sort of be a step in that direction. Folks, God bless. Until next time, Dami, thank you very much for being on. What an incredible show and, and, and a real, real honor. Thank you so much. You have a good evening. And you have a good evening as well, folks. God bless. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.